may be seated. If you're elementary age kid, you can go down for the class. We've got some quality teachers this morning. Whole, whole posse of teachers. One-on-one -on -one tutorial down there. It's awesome. Well, good morning. My name's Robert. I'm the lead pastor here. We've been working our way through the book of Acts. You may want to go ahead and find one of the Bibles on the floor there or turn on your phone, wherever it is you, you uh, access the scriptures. But we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6. And I don't know about you, but I've been incredibly challenged by the book of Acts. I knew, I knew it was going to be inspiring, and I knew there was going to be some good truths about church and Holy Spirit. And, but the more that I've looked at this little congregation of, of ordinary people, the more I, I've been challenged, and I think led to challenge you in light of that scripture. We see in the book of Acts this proclamation of the gospel over and over and over and over and over again. Places like in Acts chapter 5, Verse 31, this is on the screen here, where Peter's speaking to some of his persecutors, and he says, God exalted him, talking about Jesus, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And you, you see little, little snippets like this over and over and over again, where Peter points to Jesus. And, and, and he shows him to be the Savior, and he shows him to be the Lord. And we also see that this is being empowered by the Holy Spirit. That it's not just human beings saying words, giving lectures, giving teachings, but God, the Holy Spirit, is indwelling those believers and is empowering or demonstrating that proclamation. And we've been saying this is how ordinary people are able to do these extraordinary things in the name of Christ. And the ways that the gospel is demonstrated are varied. And I think even that's pretty encouraging. That to know that God the Holy Spirit has a lot of ideas <laughs> for how to demonstrate the gospel. He's not run out of ideas. And in whatever context the church is in, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what that particular context Needs and as, as we watch the Holy Spirit working in the context of first the first church the first century, uh, we we see miraculous language being spoken. We see the healing of a paralyzed man. We see boldness and clarity by the apostles. All these are demonstrations. Even last week we saw uh, judgment. We saw Ananias and Sapphira drop dead, and I, I won't go into that story anymore. You can look listen to the last week's sermon, but. But again, the Holy Spirit, not, not short on ideas for how to demonstrate, authenticate the gospel message. And so this morning in Acts chapter 6, we see yet another way that the Holy Spirit demonstrates the gospel. And it comes in the midst of a church controversy. Com comes in the middle of some problems. I think that's good to hear because sometimes we can kind of romanticize the, the church of Acts, that they were somehow perfect and they never had any problem. Well, that's not true. That's not true. They were ordinary people. They were sinful people. They were people that had blind spots. They, 
They, they had their issues. And there's a couple of places in the book of Acts where that's front and center. This is one of those places, Acts chapter, chapter 6. And so I, th- I think we have a lot to learn from the early church in the way that they handle this issue. So we're going to learn from the actual problem that they're experiencing. We're going to learn from the path that they take to get to the solution. And I think we learn from the solution itself. So that's, what, that's where we're going with this, with this uh, little short section here. Uh, the problem, the path, and the solution. So the problem. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So this is the problem. Now the problem is multilayered, as most problems are. Uh, there's a lot of growth. Growth causes problems. A lot of times we'll say, well, these are good problems to have. We say this in elders' meeting a lot of times. Here's some issues we're facing, some problems we're trying to solve. These are good problems to have, right? People are running out of parking across the street. That's a good problem to have. Not this morning, but, but uh, other, time, other Sundays, all right? Um, and so more people mean more needs to meet. Uh, more people means it's harder to communicate. Right? When you're 20 people, it's not hard to communicate. But, but when, when you grow, uh, in, the, in the book of Acts, we, we're seeing 10,000, 20,000 maybe Christians. And so trying to communicate with them, and they didn't even have the Internet. Right? It usually means some kind of structural changes, some kind of delegation, some kind of leadership that's needed to deal with the growth. But that's not the only problem. Also, in, in the, the problem is that there's some people that are in the, the fellowship that are invisible. They're invisible. They're invisible in particular to some of the folks that have the power over the resources. And those folks aren't sharing the resources with the people that are invisible to them. There seem to be two groups in general in the Jerusalem church. There's the Hebraic group. These folks probably speak Aramaic as their primary language, and they're more Jewish in culture. Uh, there is the Hellenist. They are probably Greek-speaking primarily, and they probably did not grow up in Jerusalem. They probably grew up somewhere far, far away and have now come back to Jerusalem, possibly even to retire. There, there was some teaching that was a little weird, I would say, ab- about how if you, were, w- if you died away from Jerusalem and you were, were Jewish, you would have to roll all the way back to Jerusalem underground. I don't know how you do that. So there were people that when they were getting close to death would actually move back to Jerusalem because they wanted to die in Jerusalem. So it's possible that, that there are, are some older, older people that, that, that some of these widows had come back to Jerusalem to die, and they, but they had grown up, and they had been Greek speakers, and they had become very Hellenized where they had lived before, and there was some bad blood between these two groups. The more Hebrew-type people felt like the Hellenists had sold out, that they'd not been true to their people, true to their culture. And so before there was even a church where these two groups were trying to become a fellowship, there was already some, some bad blood. 
And so it was bound to happen that one group was going to be hurt by the other group, whether or not it was intentional. But, but whether or not it, it was intentional, this feels intentional to the Hellenists. So they bring it to the apostles, right? Now, this is only the, the, only b- the beginning of bringing people from very different kinds of cultural backgrounds together in one fellowship. I mean, really, these, these Hellenists and Hebraists really have a lot in common because they have Judaism as, as a common thread for their uh, kind of cultural connection. But, but soon, even in the book of Acts, we're going to see Gentiles and Jews trying to come together and be in one fellowship. That's going to be even harder. You hear the Apostle Paul write to the Ephesians who are trying to create that kind of a church. In Ephesians 2, he says, For he himself, he's talking about Jesus, is our peace, who's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You can tell it's pretty intense at, at the church of Ephesus. Paul using this word hostility, saying, you know, that, that you were once, you had a, a hostile relationship with God because of your sin. But God has made you one with God, with, him, with himself, right, through the cross. And now because of that, you can become one with your brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter where they come from, no matter what kind of bad blood was previous in your relationship. And so this, this is partly what we see the, the early church trying to figure out, trying to work out these people coming from very different backgrounds, trying to become one. Uh, the, the Hellenists who are, are, are coming before the apostles, they aren't necessarily doing it in the best of attitudes. Uh, we know that from the word that's used there, this Greek word, gongusmos. It means murmuring, complaining, grumbling, whispering, gossiping. It's used a couple of other times uh, in the New Testament. Here, here are two of them. Philippians 2.14, do all things without gongusmos, grumbling or disputing. 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Gungusmos, it's the same word. It's also the word that's used in the Old Testament, the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint the, to describe the grumbling, the murmuring in the wilderness that the people do against Moses. So it seems that Luke has used this, this term on, on purpose to show that this was not pretty. Right? The Hellenists are showing up, they're upset, they're grumbling, they're murmuring, they're, there's a lot at stake. This is, this is not a, a neat, clean little conversation. And so what will the apostles do? I started I start thinking through this. What could the apostles have, have said, right? Who do you think you are? We're the apostles, right? We're busy writing the Bible, Okay. We don't have time for this. Have you seen what we do? Have you seen us lay hands on people and they receive the Holy Spirit? Have you seen that? Like, why are you bugging us? We're way up here. You're way down there, right? 
we're busy. Or the other extreme, we're so, 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 so sorry. Oh, we're so, so sorry that 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 happened. This, This will never happen again. We are on top of it. Don't you worry. We got it. They don't do either. They don't do either. They, they, they don't dismiss them, nor do they say, we'll, we'll take care of it. We're so sorry. It, here's the path, and I think we, we can learn a lot from the path here. It says the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So what they do, I'll use this little phrase to kind of summarize it. They, they take the lead and they share the load. They take the lead and they share the load. They get the congregation together. Now, it says the full number of the disciples. I don't know how many that was. I don't know exactly how they chose that. I don't think it's like 20,000 people. I don't, I don't think they had a meeting with 20,000 new converts. So I'm not sure how they decided who was in the room, but it was definitely not just the apostles. And it wasn't just the complaint, the, 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 the com- complaining people, right? It, it's like this whole group of people, this, this congregation. And one of the first things they do is they clarify their calling. And they say, it's not right. That's pretty strong language. It's not right for us to serve tables. They don't just say, you know, we were brainstorming this morning, a staff meeting, and just thinking we probably shouldn't spend a lot of time doing the whole table thing because we need to really prioritize and, and focus on It's It's not right. They're so sure that God's call on them is that they pray and they teach the Bible. They clarify their calling. They say it is right that they participate in this prayer and word kind of ministry. And they're not saying that feeding widows is unimportant. In fact, they use the same word to describe both the ministry of the word and the serving of the tables. It's the exact same word. Now, what they propose is some shared ministry. They say, you solve this with our guidance. They take the lead and they share the load. I'm sure they didn't use this model for everything that came up. They didn't call a meeting for every problem. Right? That would, that would get ridiculous. But this particular situation, and probably other situations like it, where they felt like this, this is a serious moment here. Like it, this, this could split the congregation open. The congregation needs to take ownership of this. And, and so they invite the congregation in to solve the problem. Really, they're showing what elders do in a church. They really function like, like elders in this, in this moment that we see described in Acts chapter 6. They, they coach the congregation up to pick the right leaders. They don't just say, do whatever you want. They don't dictate and over, override what the congregation wants, but somehow they do this back and forth collaboration. It's really great leadership. If you've taken any kind of like leadership 101 classes, you've probably seen this uh, leadership, uh, these quadrants here, right? So quadrant one is high task, low relationship. 
This is the dominator. Right? Just want to get the thing done. Don't care about the people. We'll run over the people. We'll tell the people what to do. Just want to get the thing done. Quadrant two, the avoider. That's low task and low relationship. Worst kind of leader. Right? Just hiding out, hoping nothing goes wrong. Right? And if something do- does go wrong, you just hide out better so they can't find you. The avoider. Quadrant three, the accommodator. Low task, high relationship. So they're around. They're your best cheerleader, but they don't ever lead you, never take you anywhere. And then the fourth is the collaborator. That's obviously the best quadrant, right? High task, high relationship. And so the apostles lean in to the relationships, and they take the lead in giving them initiation and leadership for what they need to do. They lead them to pick people with three different characteristics. One, they want the people to be Christians, mature Christians. They say this by using the phrase, full of the Spirit. What that means is that that person has an e- they evidence that they are actually following Jesus, that they're receptive to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they're responding to that work of the Holy Spirit with obedience. They are full of the Spirit. When you are disobeying on a consistent basis, you're quenching the Spirit. You're grieving the Spirit. You're not full of the Spirit. So they want the people that are chosen, they want them to be mature Christians. They also want them to have good character, good reputation is what they say. That they've been tested out in the world, maybe the family or business or community. And when when they are seen in the family, business or community, they, they, they show themselves to be people of good character. And then... Thirdly, competency. They're full of wisdom. That's like practical know-how. They can actually get it done. That they're, they're not just people that know Jesus and, and, and people that have good character, but they actually have some skill. And they can actually organize, deal with the money, deal, deal with the relationships within the interactions with the widows and the families of the widows. And th- there's a lot of dynamics in this kind of ministry that's about to be taken over by a whole other set of people. So they're Christian, they have character, and they're, they're competent. We understand this passage to be describing the first deacons. And then it, I think it becomes a thing that, that churches then do and, and have done throughout history. I mean, the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy, a young pastor in uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, he says this, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. And those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So you see this back and forth of, of this character and Christian, not a lot, of, a lot of language about skill in that particular passage, but, but this idea that they know Christ and they've been tested and they've shown themselves uh, people of good character, both in the family and the community. And so what we see in Scripture are these three different offices in the church, and one of those is a deacon. 
and a deacon meets practical needs in the church, and I would say out in the world as well. It's, a, it's, very, it's very practical kinds of, kinds of needs. They also have elders. Elders teach, they shepherd, they oversee the church. And so in a way, the deacons assist the elders so that the elders can focus on the teaching and the shepherding. This is what you see the apostles saying. We, we've got to have people that do the practical ministry kinds of things because we need to be focused on teaching the word, the word of God, shepherding the congregation. But then you also have the congregation. They seem to have a lot of responsibility, a lot of ownership in this. When you look at the story, it's an office, right? That's why we have membership. When, when, when you are brought into the membership of the church, Yes, there, there are some, some privileges, right, some, some attention that you might get, but really there's responsibility as a member of the church. And the congregation is the highest human authority in the church. When you see the Apostle Paul writing letters, he typically doesn't write to the elders. He doesn't write to a person, unless it's like Timothy and Titus. But other than that, he's writing to the church He's saying, church, you need to get your act together. Church, you need to do this or that. And certainly the leaders are part of that process. But the church is responsible for, for the ministry in that particular church. The, the congregation prays. It, it, it serves. uses its spiritual gifts. Gives financially. Is responsible for the ministry in the church. This is why it's so important that the members of the church are actually Christians. This is why when you come to meet Mercy House, we have you share your testimony about how you came to faith in Christ, and we listen, and we vet you. You didn't maybe know that's what we were doing, but that's what we were doing. If you join the church, we're vetting you. We're listening. Do they know that they, they're a sinner? Do they know they need Christ as Savior? Are, are they producing some kind of evidence that they actually know Jesus, and they care about Him, and they're following Him? Because we don't want to allow a, a person that's not a Christian to become a member of the church. Why? Because you are now part of the highest human authority in the church. It's the congregation. And you're now responsible. You own this ministry in a particular local church. Now, the church's response, verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. That's a healthy church right there. The leaders lead. The church responds. Because we like that idea when the leaders say, we want you to take ownership of this problem. We want you to choose leaders. We're going to give you some, some coaching. We're going to give you some leadership. And they respond, we like this. We want to do that. We want to take this on. We want to be part of the solution. We don't just want to be complainers. Now, maybe when they went in, they just wanted to be complainers, but by God's Spirit in that moment, as they're interacting with their leaders, they decide, don't just want to be complainers. I want to be part of the solution. And they, they choose these seven people, the names of which were read brilliantly by Gina, so I'm not even going to do it because she already did it. And they bring them back, verse 6, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. Beautiful, just a beautiful back and forth between congregation and leaders. Congregation brings an issue that the congregation is aware of to the leaders. 
Uh, the leaders present a plan for how they think that the, the, the problem can be solved. Uh, the congregation responds to the initiation of their leaders by implementing the plan, taking responsibility of solving that problem. The leaders coach the, the congregation up as they're serving in this way. That they then confirm what the congregation does in implementing the solution. Right? This beautiful just back and forth between leadership and congregation. Then they're not a perfect church, but they're a healthy church. There's always going to be problems. Always. <laughs> There's always going to be things that are wrong about the church. Always things that need to be changed and improved. And this is the, this is the way it should work, this back and forth between leaders and congregation. And what's the result? Verse 7, the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That would be great to put in a fundraiser letter. How's it going? It's going great. <laughs> the word of God is moving forward. The, the number of disciples, not just adding, multiplying. And some of the toughest nuts that have not been willing to crack have come to faith in Christ. Some of those Jewish leaders that were calling out for Jesus' crucifixion and calling for the persecution of the church, they become Christians. It's a, it's a turning point in the book of Acts. Powerful, powerful moment in the history of the early church. The gospel's been authenticated in an yet another way. And for whatever reason, these, these Jewish priests, when, when they saw Pentecost happen, they were like, eh, not that impressed. They saw a paralyzed man leaping and praising God, eh, not that impressed. Right? They, they saw the boldness and the clarity, the way that, that these ordinary disciples were preaching the gospel. Eh, you know, not that big a deal. For whatever reason, that just wasn't a big deal for them. And then they hear of Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead in Peter's office. Eh, people die, you know. But, but when they see this, they see people that have bad blood between the two groups come together and, and forgive one another and love one another well and, and press into becoming a fellowship together and do it in such a way that both practical needs in the congregation are met and the word of God continues to be preached in power. For whatever reason, that, when they saw that, they said, sign me up. Sign me up. And the, the gospel was authenticated in yet another way in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what can we learn from this, from this church? Not perfect, but certainly healthy. So learn, let's learn from the problem. Let's learn from the problem. So who in this church is invisible to you? Who in the church is invisible to you? Now, I mean, you might see them, but you're not in fellowship with them. You see them, but you're not in fellowship with them. 
working people? Are you in fellowship with students? Right? Are, are they invisible to you? I don't know if you notice, there's a lot of students that come to this church. Right? Here we are, spring break Sunday. And suddenly we're a church, you know, the first service usually has, you know, 150 people in it. And now I think we've got like 50 people maybe in the room. Right? If, if you're not in fellowship with a student, somehow you have missed what the Holy Spirit is doing in this church. You sit alongside them, but, but you're not pressing in to knowing. And I'm not saying you've got to, to know, you know, 50 students in this church, but two or three. This is part of what God is doing in this place. It's a big part. I don't think he put us in this particular location. I don't think he gave me to you as your pastor who, who feels very called to be a part of student ministry. If, if this place wasn't supposed to be doing a student ministry, that's not the only thing we do. But it's definitely an important part of the mission. So if you're not in fellowship with students, you've missed it. And, and you need to figure out, how do, how do I press in to that? Which could be as simple as coming up, coming early and staying late. Just coming early, meeting people, and sharing life together. Going to the Beloved Retreat if you're one, one of the women in the church. And when you're there, don't just talk to the, the, the women that you know that are your peers, but you reach out and you meet some people that are younger than you. Most of you were that here. <laughs> this is so interesting to me. Many of you came here as students, and then sometimes you, after you get out of, of college, you, some of you are married, have kids, and, and you're like, students, I don't even know what to do with them. Man, they're, they're weird. Look, this is part of the mission of this church. Get over yourself. Press in. We have such an opportunity to disciple the next generation. You know how miraculous it is that the, these 19-year-olds, 20-somethings, are in this building hearing a, a 45-minute gospel sermon week after week in New England, in Amherst? I mean, it's a miracle. And it's such a privilege that we get to minister to this next generation coming up. And then literally get to send them all over New England and all over the world. And when we stand before Jesus, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this moment where I go, hey, like, can, I, can I just see like all the layers of what you did in that little church in Amherst over the years as you sent out hundreds of people to places all over the world and just look at the layers, the families that were started, the, the people that came to faith, the countries that were impacted. I mean, it's, it's going to blow our minds. But for some of you, it's just, it's just happening on the track right next to you. You're, you're not engaging in it. And I'm saying if you're part of this church and you're not somehow engaged in an influencing of, of college students, you're missing what the Holy Spirit is doing in this place. Now, students, I want to encourage you to press into relationships with folks that are community members. And I know that's a little harder because there's a lot more students than there are of community members, and a lot of students aren't here today, but they will be listening to this podcast. And they were asking me, Pastor Rob, are you going to keep going through Acts? Or are you going to wait for us to come back? I said, I'm going to keep going through Acts, but you can listen to it on the podcast. 
okay? So you can hear me, okay, on the podcast. Press into relationships with folks that are community members. Now, we say this in this covenant, right? We just said it a couple weeks ago. We say, I will also make available my own time, talent, resources to help accomplish the mission to reach, build, and send students of the five colleges, accomplishing the planting of, the new, of new churches in the Pioneer Valley and connect, train, and commission the families and singles of our church. So if we're a member of the church, we signed that, we stood, and we said that. Don't just blindly sign that and say that. Own that. Own that. God, God has called us to do these things, right? to, 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 to build and send students, to, to invest in, in families. And, and I'm talking to students and I'm talking to families. Right? That we are a congregation together. Are you in fellowship with people that are of different ethnicities? You, you may have noticed there's people from all kinds of countries, all kinds of backgrounds in, in this church. You were greeted this morning by folks from mainland China who came to Christ here in this country. And they were your greeters this morning. Right? This is awesome. This is an awesome context, an awesome opportunity. There's, there's so many churches that are pretty monocultural. Really, it's, it's the norm. It's, and we have this really cool opportunity to be in relationship with all kinds of different people. But are those people, are they invisible to you? I mean, you see them. Like, oh, isn't that cool that that person, they're here. And, and, and again, I'm not just saying you know their names. I'm saying are you in fellowship with them? It's one thing to have kind of an acquaintance and be nice and civil, but are they at your dinner table? Are they in your, in your life? Because if they're not, you're missing part of what the Holy Spirit is doing in this church. Bringing together people from all kinds of different backgrounds, cultures, ethnicities for the opportunity to demonstrate the gospel in a way that people look in and go, how do they do that? How did they do fellowship like that? Oh, it's because of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful authentication of, of the truth of the gospel. Are you aware of and, and, and in fellowship with those that are vulnerable? In our congregation, you, you got folks that come in and out of these doors with different kinds of issues, struggles. What's what's your reaction to that when you see that? You see someone that has some mental illness or some some issues that make them very vulnerable. Do do, do you go? Oh, just look the other way. Talk to some pretty people here. I I don't want to deal with that. Or do you lean in? Do you lean in? Do you, do you get their name? Do, do you look them in the eye? Do, do you deal with whatever the struggles are to, to socialize and to relate? Again, are they at your dinner table? <laughs> this, is, this too is something that the Holy Spirit is doing in this congregation. Some of you, you totally get this, and, and, and I see you leaning in and loving people in some really miraculous ways. But again, if that's not, if that's not part of your experience, you're missing it. You're missing what the Holy Spirit is doing in this place. 
Now, this is, this is a hard path. But, but don't look at the book of Acts and the church there and, and again, say, well, that's, they're, they're, they're like superstars. They're like super, no, they're just like you and me. They're ordinary. They're ordinary. But they had the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, and they were willing to, to do things that were risky and challenging because they believed that the Holy Spirit would give them the power that they needed to actually do it. So that's learning from the problem. What can we learn from the path? I think leaders lead and congregation shares the load. I, th I think that's a huge lesson for us. Uh, I think it's a challenge to me and to elders to lead the congregation, to, to not just kind of let it roll, but to, but to lead the congregation. And it's a challenge to the congregation to own the ministry of the church, to not just feel like, oh, staff and elders, they run this place, they've got it, I can kind of come here and be a consumer. No, no, you're, you're prayerful, you're, you're giving generously, you're, you're, you're owning the ministry of the church as the elders and staff lead the church. You can always communicate with, with elders. Personally, you saw Chris up here praying earlier. He's one of our elders. Dan Moylan's one of our elders. Steve's one of our elders. Uh, I'm one of your elders. And you, you can always communicate with us on Sunday morning. Come up to us and, and talk to us. You can also email us. And all you do is put our first name at and then knowmercy.org and, and you'll get that message. And if you want to ha have a conversation about something, we want you to we want you to be able to do that. If you need some some ministry, you just say I I need some prayer, I need some help. I want you to be able to communicate with elders. So the path. What can we learn from the solution? Uh, I think we need deacons. Every church needs deacons. Now we've been saying. Servant team leaders are, are like our deacons, which they, they are. They meet practical needs. They're running the AV. They're, they're, they're doing the ushering and greeting. They're doing the hospitality. These things are practical uh, things. But, but as I've read this text, as I've had conversations with elders, I, I really do, I believe we need a team of people that meet practical needs in the congregation on a day-to-day -day basis. When, when things come up, when, when someone is having a crisis and they need child care or they just need a hug or they just need uh, some money to help them get over the, the hump or they, wh whatever, but that there would be a team of people that would be kind of at the ready when something comes up where staff and elders could call them and say, hey, we need, we need backup. We need somebody to go down to the psych ward and sit with this person who's struggling. We need, we need someone to go to the emergency room because there's some, one of our members there that, that they're alone. They're from another country. I'm just describing things that have actually happened, okay? And there's no one there to be with them as they're sitting in the emergency room in pain. Could you go there now and just be there, be present with them? I, I think what a deacon does is they're present, they're practical, and they're prayerful. It, it's, it's not rocket science. You just show up. Right? You're present. You're practical. You just meet practical needs. They need, need a, a meal, what, whatever. You, you're just ready. They're at the ready to, to, to meet a need. And you pray for them. 
you pray, pray with them, you pray for them. And, and I, I think we need a team of people. This, this, is, this is what they do. Some of you are particularly gifted in this kind of ministry. As I'm describing that, you're like, sign me up. Because I think there are people that, that this, is, this is their gifts and calling, and we just don't have a platform for this kind of ministry. And what happens is it goes through the staff, it goes through the elders, many of which should be focused on preaching, teaching, shepherding, prayer, prayer and word ministry. And we're doing that, but then we're also doing a whole bunch of other things. So if this is something you're interested in, I want to encourage you to talk to me or just write on your, your, your connection card there, just write deacon on there. Because I, I, we're going to get some people together that are interested in it. We're just going to see who's interested, see what we can pull together and begin this process of coming up with a deacon team. Now, as you're listening to this, I don't know about you, I, I, so I'm feeling challenged by, by Acts. I said this at the beginning of the sermon. I, you know, I've been told to be bold. I've been told to be generous. I've been told to take ownership of the congregation. I'm t- I've been told to meet practical, practical needs. And, and I know that the reaction to that oftentimes is, I'm, whoa, I'm way too busy for that. My finances are way too stretched. I'm way too weak for that. I'm way too fearful to engage with that. I'm, I'm actually apathetic. Actually, I'm just too ordinary for that, right? So we got to be careful that, that we look at the Church of Acts and we go, wow, aren't they amazing? And then say, but I could never, I could never engage with that because you can. And you can because of the grace of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. Of course, when Christ calls us into something, we, we're going to feel, uh, feel some fear and trepidation and, 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 and think, I, I can't do that. Because it requires faith. It requires trust in the supernatural work of the Spirit. And we're, we're reminded of this reality. Every time we come to this table, we're reminded of, of the gospel, right? That, that Christ is willing to pay the ultimate price to serve us. Right? So he, he becomes both the means of how we do this kind of supernatural service and also becomes the model for how we do this. Right? He takes bread and he breaks it. Like, Jesus, why, why are you breaking the bread? Why are you hosting the table? You're the Lord of the universe. Yeah. The Lord of the universe serving. Before he broke this bread, he had washed all their feet. He says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He, he says, I, I've come to be a servant, to give my life as a ransom for many. So he's, he's the means by which we're able to do the kind of call that we see in the book of Acts. Can never be done in our own strength. So yeah, if you're feeling busy and overwhelmed and weak and apathetic, confess that to him. And say, oh God, by the grace of the gospel, I, I don't want to be like that. God, help me. Forgive me. Empower me to actually live the call that's on my life, to live out that call in this particular church context that you've called me to serve in. In the same way, Jesus took the cup, and after he had blessed it, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. 
and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He says this new covenant, and part of that new covenant is this new covenant community known as the church, empowered by his spirit, focused in on the gospel, both proclaiming that gospel and demonstrating that gospel. So with that in mind, let's, let's celebrate with Jesus. Let's, let's receive that grace as, as we remember it, as we take the bread and the cup. And let's respond by laying down our own lives. That as he has deaconed us, we will deacon in his name, one another and those in the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a loving, gracious, giving God. And you've poured out your life for us. You've given your life in service to us. So Lord, forgive us for being selfish. Forgive us for, for not wanting to do that, for being apathetic, for being faithless. God, we, we come to you inadequate, God, needing energy, needing strength, needing power so that we can minister in your name. And so, Lord, as we receive this bread and this cup, may we remember what it points to, this glorious gospel of grace that both saves us from a, from a future hell, but, but it saves us now. It saves us from those, those, those realities that we have to deal with in our sinful selves, God. So rescue us, God, this morning. Renew us. As individuals, renew us as a congregation and set us on the mission that you have for us in this particular local church, God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.